Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show, hosted by Amber Strange and Jenna Penrose, two mothers and detectives dedicated to fully embodying a new paradigm of conscious parenting, deeper relationships, healing ourselves into radiant health, and epic answers to age-old enigmas. Get ready to get your mind blown, because this week's episode starts in Three, two, one. It's Amber, and I'm here with the beautiful Jenna Penrose. (laughs) We are your hosts today, and we are chatting with Tamara Iglesias, an LA local who has cured herself from symptoms of anorexia nervosa, as well as other eating disorders, which we will discover in today's conversation. Tamara, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time and your story. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. (laughs) Cannot wait to get more into it. Do you have Tamara's bio on you, Jenna? I do. Tamara Iglesias is the founder of the conscious parenting coaching company, Welly Nest, dedicated to raising whole beings from the very beginning. Coaching mothers and fathers alike, Tamara has helped empower families to live happy and nourish lives. Her mission is to shift the way we raise our children by parenting from a place of respect, cultivating deep trust, and setting healthy boundaries. She has created a conscious parenting coaching program, helping her clients nurture their children by healing themselves first. Setting children up for healthy connections, relationships, and coping methods, her approach has helped hundreds of families, and her own struggle has made her want to change the way we raise our children, and she is doing so every day. After the stress of childhood trauma, school pressures, and becoming a scholarship collegiate athlete, um, Tamara suffered from anorexia along with other eating disorders at the, starting at the age of 12. She had a breakdown at age 19, which was also a breakthrough, uh, that eventually led to her capacity to heal when she took her health into her own hands. In just a few short years, she was truly on her way to optimal health and a few years after that, symptom-free from all of her eating disorders. Now, just to give our clients, er, sorry, our listeners, a um, definition of anorexia nervosa from the Mayo Clinic. Um, anorexia is uh, nervosa is often simply called anorexia, and it's an eating disorder that's characterized by an abnormally low body weight, an intense fear of gaining weight, and a distorted perception of weight. People with anorexia place a high value on controlling their weight and shape using extreme efforts that tend to significantly interfere with their lives. To prevent weight gain or to continue losing weight, people with anorexia usually severely restrict the amount of food they eat. They may control calorie intake by vomiting after eating or by using laxatives, diet aids, diuretics, or enemas. They may also try to lose weight by exercising excessively. No matter how much weight is lost, the person continues to fear weight gain. Anorexia isn't really about food. It's an extremely unhealthy and sometimes life-threatening way to try to cope with emotional problems. When you have anorexia, you often equate thinness with self-worth. And just to let you know, just to reinforce, that was the definition of from the Mayo Clinic. And Tamara, is there anything that you would add from your personal experience to that definition? Um... Well, I think what I would add is the way eating disorders come, it's not 
so linear, right? It's not one diagnosis. It's not one struggle. And it normally is one of the many unhealthy coping mechanisms that a child or a human suffering in pain is using to um, survive. Um, And yeah, so even myself going through this, it was a combination of so many different things. And eventually when I got diagnosed and then was eventually put into an eating disorder clinic, you know, it was anorexia, it was bulimia. What I came to learn in my older years, there was emotional eating, it was depression, it was PTSD. I mean, these all go together. And then even in the healing journey, it normally, um, all of these will um, lead to other issues like anything else, right? So my eating disorder eventually led to my hypothyroidism and, you know, panic attacks and holes in my stomach and food allergies and all the other things that eventually unraveled my health once I actually was healing from my eating disorder. So um, yeah, so many things. And I will also say, because Amber, you say my name with such an accent, it's, it's Tamara, Versus Tamara. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> I was going to ask you, actually. Yeah, I, I have only ever heard Tamara. Well, I guess it's with an your Australian accent, that's thing. kind of how you say it. But mm-hmm. in, you know, it's Tamara. 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 Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to put on an American accent just <laughs> to say your say name that. correctly. <laughs> Working on that. So, Tamara. Nice. <laughs> um, let's get to the very beginning with your story. Yeah. When did your battle with anorexia begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it, 12 is when I first remember it all happening. I, I can almost um, remember one of – there was actually a triggering event that um, led to it. I remember – I think if I remember it correctly um, – I was with my sixth grade uh, or eighth grade, yeah, eighth grade boyfriend. And I was young, so that was 12 at the time. And, you know, boyfriend, right? Wasn't really a boyfriend. And he was at my house and we were upstairs and we weren't doing anything. And he's still one of my best friends today. And my papa was there and he must have thought something was happening. And he came like, this is my father's father. And he came storming up the stairs and he yelled and like, you know, my friend like ran out of the house. And I remember feeling traumatized and he like yelled at me and it was like really intense. And it was one of those situations where, you know, the adult doesn't really know what happens. And now they're like yelling and shaming and there's a lot of fear. And here I am a 12 year old girl. And I remember that night was the first time I ever made myself throw up. And I think it was this coping mechanism. And now looking back, I mean, this is actually the first time I'm, I'm, I think I'm saying this, you know, on a public um, forum and out loud, but I think it triggered such a big stress response in me that it ignited the beginning of this behavior because I didn't know what else to do to control everything I was feeling. And so in a way I ate all this food and then threw it up. And that was the only thing I knew how to do to process everything going on. And now that I know this awareness, I'm like, wow, that young girl like stuffed this stuff into her body. And the only way she knew how to get it out was to throw it up out of her body. And that was the beginning of what led to this seven-year eating disorder that evolved in many different ways and branched out in other areas and 
um, yeah, it was a lot of self pain and, and struggle and hurt and self-sabotage and, and, and control and, and fear and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a chronic journey with anorexia and bulimia and everything else you said that comes with it. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting journey, um, because I, made it through those seven years with almost no one knowing about it. You know, I lived under my parents' roof with anorexia, with bulimia. I was the number one runner in my high school. I got, I was a straight A student in high school. I, you know, was in the popular crowd and had lots of friends. I got a scholarship to run to college with an eating disorder. You know, I was... (laughs) How did you have the energy to run? Um, Our bodies are incredible, you know, and I don't think I was, um, you know, and I don't want to minimize it, but senior year going into high school, I was probably around 82 pounds, but 82 pounds of sheer muscle, right? I was a runner and that was probably around the lowest weight I ever got, um, which for an athlete is extremely thin and extremely low weight. But our bodies are capable of so much. My body was able to run, you know, for periods of time with nothing. I remember racing. I remember winning races. And the only thing I'd eaten that day was a piece of apple and a handful of raisins. And winning a mile race or a two-mile race at five minutes and change, you know? Like, it's a, – a, when I think back what I could have actually done, how my mind could have worked, and I did all of that starving myself, mm. hurting myself, running myself into the ground. Like what kind of athlete could I have been had I been taking care of myself? You would be the fastest person on earth. <laughs> you were running on empty that whole time, excuse the pun, <laughs> but you yeah. could have been taken off like a rocker. Wow. Yeah. So you mentioned that initially it was an emotional reaction of needing to feel, needing to express that mm-hmm. stress. Yeah. Would you say that that was the trigger going forward each time you threw up or would, did it leak into other triggers? Um, I think stress and uh, my, my deep need for control was a really big driver, you know, and then the obsession becomes about the food. It becomes about what we look like. It becomes about performance and all of this, but that's not really what's underneath. That's, that's what the story becomes or became for me, right? I can only talk for me. This, the journey of and the prevalence of eating disorders in so many ways, compulsive eating, emotional eating, under eating, unhealthy eating, you know, unaware eating, eating anorexia, bulimia, all of, there's so, there's so many. And honestly, I really think so many of us are struggling with an unhealthy relationship to food. Um, and it may not be as an extreme as, as what I went through. And I think there's even way more extreme versions than, than what I went through. Um, yet I think all of us could potentially have a more positive relationship to the way we engage with food. And that was just the driver of my control and my pain became around the one thing I could control. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's not that, that much 
we control more and more as we get older, but think of an infant. There's so little they can control. And then toddlers and even teenagers, right? I still lived under my parents' roof. I still had to go to the school. Like I still was in an environment with so many things set in place, right? There's not that full freedom. And then if there's not the expression of emotional freedom with a child, then I think that brings on even more and more control. Um, I was just going to ask, do you think that same need for control was a driving factor? And like you said, you were a straight A student. You were like the best on the running mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Do you think those were also symptoms of your just need for control? Totally. Everything had, I think in my world, everything had to be perfect or I felt like it was all going to fall apart. And I didn't realize that in the time. Like everything I'm sharing has been a lifetime of learning and healing and growing and evolving and 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 just taking it all as an opportunity to learn from it. Um, I didn't know that then, but absolutely now. I mean, I had an unhealthy need for everything to be perfect for, you know, my mom to love me. And, you know, one of my biggest struggles growing up was I thought my mom loved my brothers more than me. And so I was just constantly trying to like make my parents happy and like be this kid, but at the same time, like emotionally rebelling, right? Like I was constantly told I was this dramatic kid and I was too much. And these are my cries for help, right? And, and I think it was too much for my parents and maybe they didn't know what to do, you know, and in hindsight and conversations with my mom, she shared those things, you know, she shared things with me like, Tamara, you were so powerful. Like I didn't even know where you came from. I didn't know you were mine. Like I didn't know how to meet you. And, you know, I love my mom for sharing that with me and, and sharing those things because that gave me like healing and understanding and insight, which led to forgiveness and, and then a closer relationship and healing and all of that. So yeah, layers, many, many layers. Many layers. What a journey. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, all was designed perfectly to bring you to where you are now. And Mm -hmm. Tamara and I met two weeks ago at a Rye conference in LA. And (laughs) I knew you were my type of person when you got out this organic, medicinal, volcanic (laughs) salt. And I'm like, oh, damn, this girl speaks my language. (laughs) And then we got into the whole conversation around food as medicine Mm -hmm. and how you've taken that to such a beautiful place in your life. And you're so educated and passionate about that. So Clearly, it's been a journey to get mm-hmm. you to that place where you mm-hmm. now use food as medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I really believe people's stories lead us to the place where we're meant to be. It's an initiation to some degree. Yeah. But I want to get further into your initial um, relationship with these eating disorders. So mm-hmm. you said you suffered from eating disorders for seven years. Mm-hmm. What were some side effects, health, mental, emotional side effects that you started seeing from seven years of having this type of relationship with your food? Mm-hmm. Um, anxiety and stress, right? When we dep- deprive our body of vital minerals and nutrients, we then deprive our brain, which then cause high levels of stress and anxiety. Um, so I went off to college and it was hard. I, you know, I had gotten, um, a scholarship to run and I was taking extra credits that semester and I'm on a varsity, you know, running varsity cross country and, um, trying to, take extra classes and then I wanted to run for a sorority and I'm getting up before classes to work out and then I'm in class all day and then I train afterwards and my body was not in a place to support this and I was 
I, I, you know, it's, it's when it all came out, actually, I collapsed after one of my races because um, my throat closed up and I had gotten a really awful case of mono. And that by that point, I was like throwing up blood when I would throw up and it was much harder to hide it, right? There's shared bathrooms in college and, you know, even it, back in senior year in high school, it became harder to hide it. You know, we'd go off to um, training camps for cross country and, and I was running cross country that year to get a scholarship and I just quit field hockey. And, you know, here I am up in the mountains, like having to eat and anxiety around eating. And there's just so many stories running in your head. I mean, I, there was so much fear of how people would view me when I I was eating and so many layers. So the the collapse of it all was in college and I collapsed and I went to the nurse and she started to see all the signs and it was accumulation of finally like her calling me out and I was so tired and so exhausted and um, it was devastating. And I broke down and that was kind of, you know, at 19 when it all, you know, accumulated and fell apart. And I, at that point had heart palpitations. And so my heart was skipping beats from all of like the throwing up, not to mention the throwing up blood. And now I had mononucleosis and I'm in college and, um, it was the nurse taking it to the Dean and the Dean calling my family. And it was, you know, we can't, have your daughter here at school anymore. It's, it's, she's at risk. Her life is at risk. And so I didn't have a choice. It was like, you need to go get help. And until then you can't come back to school. And so the requirement was that I had to check into an eating disorder clinic and I had to get well before I could come back to school. So I was still in resistance. Like as much as I kind of fell apart and had this like I mean, my whole world collapsed, right? I went from this like scholarship athlete, straight A student. My whole life had been perfect up to there until I lost everything. I broke up with my boyfriend because I couldn't receive his love. I couldn't receive support and just everything came down. I lost college and friends. I had to go back to New Jersey and I had to check into an eating disorder hospital and that will check you because they take everything from you and they check you and they check you for razors and you know, because there's so much going on there. And, you know, I got diagnosed with anorexia and bulimia. And at that point there was depression and then PTSD. And it was, it was a tough time. And I was even resisting going in, you know, I didn't think I needed it and I'd be okay. And, but that wasn't true and I needed help. And I'm glad that that all happened. And, um, the, the clinic that you went to in New Jersey, would it have, we considered just sort of, um, your typical eating disorder clinic, like sort of more rooted in Western medicine, you'd say. Totally. <laughs> and so how did that play out? Like what sorts of treatments did they give you? Did it work? Did it not work? Yeah. So, um, the therapy piece really worked. Um, and my therapist was actually in my sorority, like she was a Pi Phi too, and I just come from that. And we had this connection and it really brought up, like we got to deep dive into where my eating disorder came from and I got to start doing the healing work, right? Because it's never really just about food. You know, for me, it was control, it was survival, it was, you know, a protection mechanism and um, so the therapy helped and I was around other people and it was also an eye opener for me. Like this was, that was the changing point in my life after a week in the hospital where I just, 
I got to a point where I was like, do I want to live or do I want to die? Mm -hmm. And I was asking myself that. <laughs> and the week before that, I felt like I wanted to die. Um, and then something inside me said, this is not your path. This is not why you were put on this planet. And something deep inside me said, I want to live. I want to fight. And from that moment on, there was something inside me that was like, I will get better. And I fought and I fought hard. And yeah, I took some steps back, but there was something in me that cracked open that day. And, and I was around, I was around mothers that were in for the second, third, fourth time. I was around, you know, women that, you know, were in their fifth cycle in the eating disorder and clinic. And I was like, I am not coming back here. I am not coming back. I am going to figure this out. And in figuring it out, I had to let it all go. I had to surrender. I had to just lose everything and start anew. And yeah, that was intense. I mean, the whole food, the healing journey in the hospital, looking back now that, you know, I went and, be, you know, um, went on to become a health coach and, you know, master herbalism and all these things in my health journey. I'm like, whoa, that did not help me. Right. Like ketchup was considered a vegetable. Like we had to make our, our, our menus in the hospital and like ketchup was like one vegetable throughout wow. the day. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, so there's a lot of things I didn't, I wouldn't eat anything that was fed to me in the hospital like now, you know? Um, and, and looking back, a really big piece of the healing is healing the brain and the brain has to come through deep nourishment. And, you know, so there's, there's some things that could have been different. Um, but I am grateful for the counselors and the doctors and the people that, you know, got me, got me on my way. And then from there it became, I mean, that was the awakening of my, in my deep spiritual journey. And I think that's what really saved me. Mm -hmm. So you're explaining to me that your true recovery started in your therapy sessions. And that was a tool that allowed mm -hmm. you to get to the root cause of your need mm -hmm. to control, which was translated as these eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And so do you mind talking to us just a little bit about what you think that root cause was? Because from there, you're able to really start the true healing journey, right? Yeah, of course. So it, it came up and in therapy, you know, the root for me was childhood abuse and something, um, you know, when you're um, abused or violated and that um, – safety of self is taken away, we create these really unhealthy coping mechanisms. And that's where this massive need to control and to hurt myself potentially so others wouldn't hurt me and and all of these cycles came from. So that came up in therapy and that was a big piece. And that was the longest piece to heal. You know, the food piece, like I got healthy and then that was one piece. But then I still had an unhealthy relationship to food. And then I healed my relationship to food. And then I healed what actually caused all of the things to begin with, which was the the abuse and my relationship to it all. So it is, it's so more than me just eating the right foods. Because you can eat the right foods and be the healthiest person on the planet and still have an unhealthy relationship to food. Because if you are in fear or angst or, you know, you go into any type of stress response around food, that's still an unhealthy relationship to food. If food is not nourishment, if food is not joyful or neutral or easy, and it's a form of, you know, um, 
you know, consoling us or making us, you know, that's still unhealthy, right? So there's layers. And so first I got to not abusing myself, not starving myself, not throwing up and finally like eating healthy and all of this stuff. And that was through this like eight year raw food journey that I went on to heal myself. And, um, but then eventually, I mean, what really healed, like truly, truly healed was when I got pregnant, that last bit of emotional eating that I knew I still had, I was like the healthiest person on the planet, super healthy pregnancy, all of this stuff. But something in me when I got pregnant like this, my daughter healed me. I mean, I literally, my relationship to food finally 100% changed. There was no guilt around food. There was no shame around food. I ate what my body needed. I didn't eat too much. I didn't eat too little. And she was my gift. I mean, that last piece, I had been healed from my eating disorder for years. I had been healthy for years, but I still, and I bet a lot of us out there have some emotional eating and, and, you know, we're stressed, we eat. That's, that's emotional eating, right? You know, we're stressed, we don't eat. That's emotional non-eating. Um, and so to have that relationship during my pregnancy and, and beyond was oh, such a gift. My daughter is such a gift. Thank you, Scarlett. Motherhood, major activation. <laughs> so did the clinic offer you any guidance or tools for you to take into your life once you were out of the clinic that really helped you move towards your recovery? Yeah. You know, it introduced me to therapy, which was amazing. I went back to therapy years later and then my therapy evolved into different types of therapy, right? And then I got into chiropractic, I got into acupuncture, I got into, you know, adaptogenic herbs, I got into holistic nutrition, I worked with Maori healers, I had, you know, shamanic healing sessions, I had um, so many things that got to the root, root, root cause of what this all was, you know, holding childhood pain and trauma in my leg, you know, that that my body worker found years later going through a series of rolfing treatment where he could feel my pain as a little girl in my leg. I mean, there's, there's so many layers of this, but I was forced to heal my health on a massively deeper level because I healed from my eating disorder. And then right when I was finally thriving again, and I was already on wall street and I had my first job on wall street, I started to feel like I was going crazy and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And, you know, three months later, $10,000 like spent trying to diagnose myself, I figured out I had hypothyroidism. So, and a slew of other things. But what happened was all those years of abusing myself, even though I'd then taken care of my, like worked to take care of myself the last three to four years, my health finally fell apart once I was well. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, you're okay. Now everything that you've done, like I can fall apart. So, um, I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. I started losing my hair. I was gaining weight, even though I was healthy and exercising. Um, before that, I'd been diagnosed with stomach ulcers and holes in my stomach. And the hypothyroidism also was stemming from um, food allergies, you know, to corn, wheat, dairy, which was causing all the inflammation and trauma. We know now that all food allergies often when not addressed can lead to auto digestive disorders and then autoimmune diseases, hence thyroid issues. And, um, I ended up going on thyroid medication initially, you know, the more natural, you know, armored thyroid. Um, but then one day about six weeks in, I, I woke up and 
I had another awakening and I was like, I don't want to be on medication for the rest of my life and I'm stopping this and I don't know what my route is yet. And I'm not recommending this to anyone. This is obviously my path and my journey. And I eventually became a health coach and this, um, and then now a conscious parenting coach, but, um, that was my, my journey. Right. And, um, I, I took it into my own hands and I am enrolled in, I was in IIN at the time. So I was already getting my holistic health certification. And, um, that was the beginning of my raw food journey. And, I just changed my whole world and the way I ate and what I was putting in my body and the way I was moving and exercising. And it was a, another kind of eight-year journey, kind of healing that and getting to super optimal health on like a different level, you know, like deep, deep cellular level. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> raw food. We've had a couple of guests where raw food has been a huge part in their healing journey. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've discovered around the healing potential with raw food? Yeah, yeah. For me, it was a deep healing and cleansing journey too. Um, and I, I'm no longer like a raw foodie and now I do, you know, it, and this is it too. You know, one, one thing I want to share is, one thing may work for us for a while. And if we get too attached to that and then we tie our health to that, that's when it can eventually hurt us. Because when our body is communicating that it needs a shift, when it's communicating that it needs a change, and we're so tied to something, we cut off those lines of communication when our body's trying to signal to us that it needs something else. And I felt like I was really attached to it initially, and I think I needed that driver to keep me on the path. And then eventually I learned over time that my body needed different things, and I had I had um, um, raised and, and, and fine-tuned those lines of communication with my body that I started to be able to hear those things. So raw food turned to Ayurveda and then Ayurveda turned to more paleo and then ancient healing modalities. And there was a time my body needed meat for the first time in my 32 years of life, you know, and all of these things, which was a really big kind of scary process and journey. But with raw foods, I um, actually studied with David Wolf and Dr. Gabriel Cousins, and I ended up doing um, Dr. Cousins' master's program in vegan and live food nutrition and really got into the, um, the healing benefits of cleansing and fasting and juice fasting. And now coming back to this idea of fasting and restriction in a really healthy way was another part of my healing journey, right? To be able to go in and be, you know, um, have a relationship that was empowering me versus disempowering me. Um, so I started cleansing multiple times a year and, um, and going through that journey and that would like get out all the toxins and heal me and then replenish and get out the toxins and heal me. And we know, you know, there's heavy metal toxicity in us and that can weigh down, you know, on our thyroids and our body and to be able to pull those heavy metals out and to strip that out through cleansing can be really powerful. You know, my tone on that has kind of changed because juice fasting and cleansing became, um, you know, fad and popular. And I think sometimes it can wreck more havoc than good now, because I think in order to go into a cleanse and a fast, we need to be whole and nourished and our organs need to be strong and functioning. And if we go into a cleanse depleted, then we're asking our body to deplete on depletion. And that can be really hard, right? And we're asking our 
potentially overtaxed organs to work even harder. So now I think so many of us need to rebuild and restore first before we take them out. And I do believe we're in a day and times where, you know, pulling out the toxins and minimizing the toxins is almost almost more important than the nourishment because all the nourishment in the in the world if we're filled with toxins is going to throw off the body and throw off the mind and throw off the nervous system. So it's like anything else it's this dance of knowing okay how do we minimize the toxins? How do we minimize the stress? How do we nourish the body? How do we nourish and balance the nervous system? And then, you know, play with what needs to happen and be in this constant evolution. Because I mean, our cells are changing every moment, you know, we're a new person every seven years, you know, so one protocol forever seems really unrealistic. (laughs) Yeah, we get that a lot. We have a lot of guests also talking about the the discovery of not one size will fit all and really mm-hmm. using your own innate wisdom and intuition to guide you through, okay, that worked for four weeks, mm-hmm. the raw food thing, and now mm-hmm. what I need is to eat meat mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you drew attention to that point. Yeah. I'm curious to know, after you came out of the clinic, before you dove into the realm of alternative healing therapies, mm-hmm. did you ever go to a um, Western medical facility, like an an average kind of Western doctor? Mm -hmm. Um, Not really. Um, No. I mean, I, so I was inpatient and then outpatient. So first I was in the hospital for an extended period of time. And then basically I would be driven back to the hospital every day for full days. And then that was another extended period of time. And then there was a protocol after that. And for me, it was kind of one step Um, at a time. So I continued with therapy, um, but I wasn't really seeing um, Western medicine doctor. You know, my mom was a little alternative to begin with. I mean, what's amazing and probably why I lasted so long and my health was so um, strong was um, my grandmother's got diagnosed with breast cancer almost at the same time when I was little. And so my mom went from like a meat and potatoes, like Iowa girl to raising her family macrobiotic because she learned about macrobiotic and the healing benefits of that food to nurse both of her mother and mother-in-law back to health. And I didn't know this at the time because we were so little, but the whole family went on a macrobiotic diet. So I was raised no meat, no dairy, no sugar. So talk about a foundation of health. Thank goodness, because I ripped apart my foundation, right? And just tore into it and abused it during those eating disorder years. But I had that base of like, you know, no sugar and like really uh, healthy food and habits. Um, So that was a big base. So that kind of instilled these patterns in me. I mean, my mom bought into Young Living the first year they launched essential oils years ago. And, um, and so she had that alternative way. I mean, in, in high school, I had body workers working on me, giving me massages and helping me visualize winning races, right? With like, you know, massage therapists from Hawaii that were doing like Reiki and stuff on me. So clearly they worked. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of medals to to show it. Um, so so I had that in me. As much as I'm from New Jersey and there was a lot of mainstream stuff going on, and you know, my dad's way more mainstream 
and stuff, I had these like, you know, little light beams of a different way of existing. And I was way more spiritual than either one of my parents. And I don't think they knew that. And that's why I felt so different most of my life. Um, But my mom really gave me this base, this foundation of health. You know, I mean, we took Umi plums growing up when we had a stomach ache and she made like daikons. You know, we didn't mind them. We just sucked on them and like they helped our tummies feel better and we'd sip on daikon broth. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But yeah, all that helped. And then um, it was it was pretty early on. I mean, I I think I was 23. Well, really when I went back to college and then I ended up shifting colleges and and shifting my whole like studies and everything. But in college, I walked myself through my first 17 day cleanse as a senior in college while taking finals and studying. And I did a a colon like anti-candida detox cleanse and I saw this stuff come out of me and I was like, oh my God, if I'm like, you know, this tiny and like I'm starting to get, you know, a lot healthier in so many ways. I was eating organic food in college at that point and in college, like making meals from scratch. And I mean, I really had all these like healthy ways and systems to support me. And I still had like you know, remnants of everything. And there were still unhealthy habits, but at the core was weaved in all of this healthy stuff. So I, I had that as my base, if that makes sense, you know? So I was, I was really already looking to myself of like, how can I take care of myself? How can I nourish myself? I mean, not everyone can say they were shopping for organic food and and making food from scratch in college, you know, that's a, but all of that it had to happen, right? Because I knew I had to maintain this level of health because it had been stripped away. Like I'd already lost everything. I wasn't going to lose everything again. So there was a way that I valued myself um, and also didn't, right? I mean, there was a lot of self-destruction in those years as well, you know, where I was still healing from all the pain of where this rooted and came from. So, I mean, it's such a many pronged approach to mm-hmm. healing, you know. I love your approach on really focusing on restoring and replenishing before you get too hardcore into any which way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all those alternative therapies like acupuncture and herbalism and all of that that you discussed was part mm-hmm. of that replenishing the system, the blood, the organs, mm-hmm. your your emotional mindset. Mm-hmm. All of that's brilliant. Before we wrap up, I wanted to um, get further into, you said that the final little bit of your healing that fully helped you heal 100% was your activation into motherhood. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what about motherhood helps you fully heal into that 100%? Um, So the emotional eating piece, um, even though it was so, I mean, no one would have guessed and, you know, there's probably a lot of people that have that and they're not talking about it. I don't know exactly what it was with Scarlett. There was, I do remember this very powerful moment and, and Scarlett was a surprise and she wasn't really planned, even though I don't know if I believe in anything being completely unplanned. Right. Um, that I looked in the mirror and there was a a chance that I was doing it completely on my own and then maybe I was going to have help and maybe not. And there was just this moment where I just synced up with this idea of being this soul's mama and 
something shifted in me and it grounded me and it rooted me and it pulled me into my power like nothing that I've ever experienced before. And I looked in the mirror and I said to my daughter, I was like, I've got this. I've got you. I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to take care of us. And it was something that was so much more powerful than those words. It was something that just like like moved into every cell in my body and being and something just shifted. I think also knowing even before I found out I was having a girl, I knew I was having a girl. And there's something about being another female's role model in life that just accelerated this idea of loving myself so fully. And a way to love myself so fully was to not hurt myself through any type of food or any type of, you know, struggle. And I wish I could say it was something I did. I think it was years and years of like healthy rituals, right? Of taking care of myself and finally the practices falling into place because it has to be the emotional, like energetic embodiment of it too. If it's just the physicality, and I think the physicality gets us there, right? And that's where we start doing the repatterning and the reprogramming through repetition, where we let old ways die off and new patterns be birthed into existence, right? But then, of course, the subconscious programming going on as well in that work. But um, that, the idea of like, knowing my programming was changing with my daughter coming in, knowing I was never going to speak less of myself in front of her, never focus on my looks in front of her, make unhealthy comments, negative comments. I mean, I removed all of that programming. My relationship with my daughter, I have not put myself down in front of her. I have not put her down. I have not focused on her looks. I have not focused on my looks. I have cultivated this like inner worth and love and acceptance of her and all setting her up with all the ways to truly love herself so that she could be equipped with the things to um, take care of herself and her being and love herself deeply. And in so doing, you broke a pattern within your family history and maybe just having her in your belly, that soul contract, as we're saying, to just break those patterns. It was like time to break them, you know? Totally. And, you know, that came to me in a meditation years earlier. I knew that there was a cycle of abuse in the female lineage of my family. I knew that my mom had been abused. I knew that my grandmothers had been abused. Um, And I got this download of you need to break this cycle. I was sitting in meditation. I was up in the um, mountains of Patagonia in, in Arizona, and it was so clear. I was like, you need to break this cycle of abuse. This stops here. You're going to have a daughter. And if you don't want to pass this down, you need to do the work now to heal this. And I had four years before my daughter came to do the work. And I really felt like I did all the work that I could have, right? And the work continues always. But I feel like I gifted her as much of a blank canvas as possible. And I don't feel like she needs to carry the torch of the abuse that that torch went out. And that fire does not need to light within her. Powerful stuff. (laughs) If you had a piece of advice to give to anyone listening to this podcast who's currently suffering with an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. what would that piece of advice be? And I know this is the hardest part, um, but the guilt and the shame and the suffering and isolation, I think, is the hardest piece. So if there's anyone or any way you can reach out and get support and talk about it, 
I think that's one of the biggest pieces, especially if you're a woman, like so often we get to heal and open up and find clarity through communication, through sisterhood, through talking. And I think with, with men too, they just have less access to it, right? There's less men's circles. There's less of that brotherhood. And we're trying to cultivate that now. And I think in our society and there's more awareness of that, but asking for help. And I know it's the hardest, hardest thing. And then the acceptance that you have a problem. I mean, I was in denial for years that anything was wrong with me. I mean, I collapsed at 19 and on the ground and I still didn't want to face it. Right. I mean, I was forced. So if you don't have that person forcing you, maybe figuring out how you can come to terms with accepting this and and just being okay with the falling apart that's probably going to come after that. And normally in like our darkest hours when we start to see the light, you know. Break down for a breakthrough. Yeah. That's our motto. <laughs> Tamara, thank you so, Tamara, yeah. thank you so much for being with us today. And I would love for you to share with our audience how they can get in touch with you, what you're up to in the world, how they can be involved or what's your journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to do health coaching and I used to do whole life wellness and I used to offer courses and all of this. And all of my work has really shifted to conscious parenting coaching, but um, I am still always happy to be a resource and a support. And I incorporate whole life wellness and health coaching into all of my conscious parenting coaching. So um, any family that maybe has a history of this and they really want to shift into this conscious parenting space and work on the food stuff at the same time. Because remember, we pass down these unhealthy patterns to our children. I've seen this in my work. I've seen a mother struggling with food issues and control. And then that starts to happen with their children, right? And then the child has resistance to food or they have control around food or they have food issues. So you can find me at Welliness. That's my conscious parenting coaching company. Um, I work with mamas and papas and families across the globe and I've got virtual conscious parenting courses and a lot of the conscious parenting work is going back to our own subconscious beliefs. So even if it's not directly food related, this work that I do now will heal the subconscious programming around the control, around the suffering, around these negative belief systems, insecurities, fears, and anything that we've either passed down or created in this lifetime. So wellingness.com, wellingness on Instagram. Um, and yeah, I think I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for standing as the change, mm -hmm. you know, and breaking the patterns. And we, we witness and affirm and appreciate you for that and for many other reasons. Um, well, that concludes our interview for today. Thank you so much for coming and taking the time to share with us. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We believe your support can invite millions of people to get into this conversation and may just help them reclaim their life and their health. So thank you, and we'll see you next week for more amazing stories of triumph over the odds. Mm -hmm.